Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Ephesians 5, starting with verse 22. And the last time we talked about the synergistic marriage. The synergistic marriage, the word synergy used in pharmacology and other things, uh, basically says that when two agents or substance are used together to attack a problem, that their results are greater than if those two substances were to work independently. So the synergistic marriage is when a husband and wife, are, they're jiving, you know, they're I'm going to use this word a lot, um, to, to be glued, to be adhered, because the Bible talks about to leave and to cleave, and the cleave, talk about in the Hebrew, means to join solidly. Um, and this is what happens in a synergistic marriage. It's fruitful, it's, it flourishes, and it's a friendship. The last time we talked about the wife's role, and we got a lot of good feedback, put a lot of stuff into it, tried to hit it from many angles, and this morning we're going to, going to speak about the husband's role. Now, it's really hard to appreciate fully or to even critique the message unless you hear both of them together. Just like the husband and wife go together, today's sermon and last Sunday's sermon go together. And I ask permission from my wife to give you a little window into our home, into our lives. And, and I talked extensively about how we, um, many years ago, uh, we got married and being new believers, both coming from divorce, it was... It was pretty bad for a while. We actually talked about using the, you know, the D word, what we call divorce. We used that word a few times. And uh, things were going pretty rocky until we actually found an older couple in the Lord that were married for a while. And they really blessed us because we saw their marriage and we were wondering, could we have a marriage like that? So there was discipleship. We learned how to problem solve. We learned how to talk to each other. We learned what boundaries not to step over. So discipleship is very important. So today, it's, we're in that fruitful, flourishing friendship type of stage, and it's, it's a great thing. Um, and I just wanted to give you the context and the background so it doesn't look like we're kind of, in a sense, bragging. God did do a great work. So whatever we have today is all because of him and not because of us. The worst thing that happens today, again, learning to problem solve and fight fair, is if I really, you know, if we have an argument or do we still disagree about stuff and work through things, um, the worst thing that happens now is she defriends me from Facebook. So, <laughs> really. <laughs> and then I see that when I'm not on the friends list, I realize she's really upset about this one. <laughs> so, so we work through it, and then I send her a friend request, and it's all better again. <laughs> I got permission to use that. Uh, and I knew that trouble in marriage is a major life stressor, but I didn't know how bad it was. So I actually put major life stressors into a search engine and I found a website according to Health24 that said the first two major life stressors, one is death of a spouse and two is divorce. And I was, I was shocked, I was amazed, I didn't realize they were both that, that high. But what's the, the nexus, what's the, 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 you know, the root, the common denominator is that when God has joined the two and they're separated, either by natural causes or by choice. When you try to separate something that's glued together and, and it gets pulled apart, it, it, becomes, it becomes problems. 
So one and two have to do with, with unjoining what God has joined together. Now, if we could put up the first image, this is not the marriage that you want. So some of you can read that. Uh, for those that can't, he's got his feet up and he's watching TV and he says, can you get to the point, Loretta? I'm really kind of busy here. <laughs> so last time we talked, you know, the Lockhorns, last time we looked at the wife and now we're looking at the husband. Definitely a dysfunctional relationship. Next slide is this is the marriage you do want. Pastor Sam and his wife Carolyn. But we did say by a show of hands, and I, I just chose a number 40 for those that are married 40 years or more, raise your hand. If you could do that again. And, and I've talked to them. <laughs> I've seen some elbows. You've married 40 years or more, raise your hand. And I know these couples, you know, and they, they love each other, you know. But this is the type of thing, these are the type of people you want to talk to when you say, hey, we're going through struggles. How do, I, how do we do this? We're really having a hard time. And there's, it's, a, it's really good. And I, I know that, and I went over this message so many times because I know it's going to be sensitive for some people, even listening on the, the website or a CD. Uh, but I want to encourage you that there's hope. There's a reason why I'm talking about this. Um, four stages, actually three with one as an option of, of uh, marriage relationship, if I could go through them that I kind of look at, the first stage I call the honeymoon stage. You've probably heard that a lot. Um, it's, you're enamored with each other. You ignore little faults. Sometimes you think they're really cute. But because you're completely enamored with each other, and there's this, you know, it's like the glue is, is kind of tacky. It's, it hasn't really set yet. And that doesn't last that long, by the way. <laughs> you know, you see Hollywood, and it seems like it lasts forever. But those actors and actresses, if you really do a study of Hollywood, very few of them in Hollywood have functional marriages. They're acting for you. That romantic stuff that you see, again, it's not something that goes the distance of the relationship. The second stage that I look at is called the, uh, the working through stage. Okay? It's the reality stage. Now those little cute things that you thought were cute start to get on your nerves. You find that you don't agree on everything and you're trying to work through problems. This second stage is where a marriage is most vulnerable. Okay? Um, yeah. The third stage I look at is the partnership stage. This is where you're, you're learning to work through problems. You're gelling. You're finishing each other's thoughts. I mean, this is a really sweet and good stage. Now, some go through a fourth stage, hopefully very few, but the fourth stage in where there becomes problems is the drifting away stage, where the husband and wife find themselves watching TV at opposite ends of the room. It's very quiet in the home. They don't talk. And they look at what happened. How do we get to this point? Because we remember the fruitful stuff. What, and this is where you really need that discipleship. This is really where you really need to go through the Word together. This is where you really need to serve the Lord, serve together. And it'll take time, but He'll bring you together. So before we jump in, the last thing I want to point out is I'm going to cover six brief points about the husband's role. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives. And we're going to talk about how deep that word love is. It's not just the flippant, oh, I love you. It's a feeling. It's not. So the first, husband loves his wife. And the husband lovingly leads the home. The second is husband love his wife by uh, washing with the water of the word, God's word. And we'll talk about that. The third point is husbands 
love your wives by nourishing and cherishing your wives. The fourth is husband love your wives by cleaving to your wives, being glued together. The fifth is husbands love your wives by emulating Christ and the church. And the sixth is really a wrap-up where the Apostle Paul t- talks to both parties. And we're going to see some overlap in this. When we talked about the wife's role, we talked a little bit about the husband. When we talk about the husband's role, we're going to talk a little bit about the wife because these things do uh, overlap. Now, for those of you that are single, you might be here one day, and I'm hoping that this is something that you really take to heart. So just read it all over again. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he, meaning Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse it, meaning the church, the collection of believers, with the washing of water by the word, that he, Jesus, might present it, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it, sh- it should be holy and without blemish. Very interesting, because we're a collection of sinners. So we'll, we'll talk about this, we'll look at it. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of Christ's body, of his flesh and his bones, this intimacy with Christ. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Going back to Genesis, that came from. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's heavy. Now, some of you have been waiting for this all week. Uh, And I can tell you as a husband, I can really be passionate about this because I'm a husband. Um, If there was a woman speaking about this, I'm sure she could be very passionate about the wife's role. But... You know, it's kind of almost like the perfect triangulation here. Uh, my wife and I, uh, our anniversary actually is this weekend. It was yesterday. Yeah, it's, it's, so it's a neat thing. It's, you know, marriage is on the forefront of my mind. And in addition, I'm actually officiating. I'm doing a wedding on August 1st. So you kind of see all these things kind of moving together. Father's Day was recently. Um, so it's really neat. And I'm going to intersperse my wedding template when I uh, do a wedding into the message. So let's look at this. Number one, husbands, to love, but to also lead, to lovingly lead. And some get offended. They say, hey, that's not fair. The husband gets off easy. The wife has to submit to her husband, and the husband just has to love his his wife. However, that's until you understand, number one, who Christ is. And number two, what he did for the church. And number three, this sacrificial love that he has. Ken, I love you because you're so beautiful. That love doesn't last. We, we, love has become such an overused word in our vernacular, in our culture, in, in, uh, in movies and stuff, that it really has lost its zing. In, in the Greek, there's at least four uh, types of love that I know of. So the Greeks actually separated different orders of love because that word was so important, the Koine Greek that the Bible was written in. Jesus also didn't lead the church by force. He loved the church. He served the church. 
He taught the church. He willingly died on the cross, providing the only way for human salvation. Now, Napoleon had a quote, and I, I thought of the quote as I, and I've researched this many times. Napoleon said something. He mused. He was a great military leader until he invaded Russia. Not a very smart thing to do. But he says this, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires, but on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this very hour, millions of men would die for him. Napoleon had it right. So we continue, verse 26. He says that he, Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that should it be holy and without blemish. You're going to find a little bit, and I had to, especially as a new believer, I had to read this over and over again because Paul's going back and forth here. He's Christ in the church. He's the husband and the wife. Now we're back at Christ in the church. And you kind of, but see, that's the whole point under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wanted us to understand this parallel. It's very important. So the second, love your wife by cleansing through teaching with God's word. Jesus, let's, let's go with Jesus first. Now I'm going to go back and forth. And it may take a while for it to sink in, this whole parallel. Jesus' sacrificial love presents the church glorious and spotless in terms of sin. Now, there's a, there's a scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21, very, very important. It says that God made him, meaning Jesus, who had no sin, to become sin for us, that in him, that we in Christ, might become the righteousness of God. And what you see there is that Jesus helped us to switch identities. When Jesus died on the cross, when he was suffering and and being tortured to death, and he uh, uh, took the sins of the world upon him and then buried it, um, he took the sinner's role. So on the cross 2,000 years ago, roughly, my sins were on that cross. Jesus bore my sins, even the ones in the future that I'll commit. So hard to believe, but remember, God is outside of time. Everyone in this room and beyond, the whole world, anyone who ever lived and will live until the Lord returns. Their sins have been destroyed on the cross. So Jesus took our identity. It's like, you know, like those identity thieves. We've, we kind of did a, not knowingly, a little identity theft where we, <laughs> Jesus took our identity, but we stole his. Because when he destroyed sin, when we believe in the sacrifice that he made, we're clean. God sees us clean. That's an incredible thing if you think about it. Sometimes when I listen to the radio, I hear all these commercials for wrinkle cream and spot remover and all that kind of stuff. But what does Jesus do? He makes us look good. He's the ultimate in removing spots and and taking care of wrinkles. So in a spiritual sense, that's what he does for us. The Lord sanctifies and cleanses his church by the word. So there's a few things going on. Number one is justification. We're declared righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross and our belief and trust in what he did. So there's justification. Big words for a simple understanding. The second thing that happens is sanctification. Sanctification is more of an ongoing process. So when we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we don't automatically become perfect. As a matter of fact, we're not perfect on this side of eternity. But as time goes on, the more we're in Christ, 
through the word, understanding the word, right? It changes us. We're convicted by the word. We realize there's some things we shouldn't be doing anymore and we need to give up. So as time goes on, we're sanctified. We look more like Jesus Christ than we look like the world and our old, our old self, our old self of the flesh. Let's go back to the husbands. Obviously, we can't make sin atonement as husbands, but we can sanctify our home with God's word. And the question to husbands is, are we doing that? Are we doing devotions with our wives? Are we praying with our wives? And I don't just mean before a meal. I mean, are we praying with our wives? Are we praying for our wives? At the very least, are we employing biblical principles in the home? Again, it's only by the word that we'll be cleansed. Right? So this is a process. little caveat here is, and there's some things I'm going to say that are going to be very pointed to the husbands and very pointed to the wives. But this is where we are in Scripture. We might not cover this for a long time. So, loving our wives is not saying yes to everything. Husbands, sometimes we need to get a backbone and change the direction of the home. Okay, we need to make sure that the home, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a spirituality, there's a, a God's word, there's, you know, there's biblical principles. You know, the, the Jesus, when we, you know, Jesus still does these things to us. We read his word, we get convicted. We read his word, we realize we need a savior more. We need to, to get close to him more. So husbands, we're not supposed to be wallpaper. Oh, look at that husband. He's a nice show husband. He doesn't really say anything or do anything, but he's there. You know, guys, we're not wallpaper. We're supposed to take an active, not a passive role in our homes. And let me say this. God help us husbands. God help us if we're the reason why the home is taking the wrong turn. Because I could tell you, men, we will be held accountable. Amen? So if we're the reason why, and our wives are trying so hard to institute biblical principles, hey, help me with the kids, help me with the teens, and we're the ones that pushed it back to the world, I'm going to tell you this right now, we will stand before the Lord as how we lead our homes, husbands. Just saying. Verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So the third point that we look at is, by, is loving our wives by nurturing and caring for our wives. Jesus loved the church greater than he loved his own body. As he allowed himself to be, his flesh to be ripped apart, he stood there and got punched in the face, he, he got humiliated before crowds of people, he allowed himself to be killed and tortured because he loves us, the church. Now, parallel with the husbands. Our wives are an extension of our own bodies and we need to care for them like that. Nourish and cherish are strong words in the Greek and usually not used for men. These words are usually used for mothers caring for their young. God often calls us to come outside of ourselves and our comfort zones and do the thing that's very difficult. Husbands, we are called to nourish and cherish our wives. I'm going to say this, real men love their wives. Real men don't partake in the locker rooms at work when guys are trash-talking their wives. I don't get that. He's saying nasty things. You guys know. You work out in the, in the, in the world. D d let it not be you. Walk away. Don't be a part of that conversation. The biblical depths of loving our wife is not easy, but 
A wife submitting to her husband, especially in this culture, is not easy either. God doesn't call us to do easy things. We have the proverbial broader shoulders. And we should be setting the tone in our homes and also doing things that help to make our wives feel secure, protected, and de-stressed when, when that happens. We also know that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Peter was embarrassed by this. He, he protested at first. And Jesus told them, you know, pretty much you need to submit to what I'm saying here. They were embarrassed because Jesus took the form of a servant to wash their feet. Husbands, would we wash our wife's feet? I'll go one better. God forbid our wives are uh, involved in something that causes them to be injured or aged, where they become incontinent. Incontinent, would we clean up our wives? And for you singles out there, men, if you're not willing to do something like this, we never know what's going to happen, then don't get married. See, a lot of young people here this morning, and this is good, because this is good for us to understand. We can always stay single. Marriage is a choice. If we are going to be married men, this is something we need to do. And especially young men like me needed to be, I'm still a young man, <laughs> but, but back in the day, you know, I needed discipleship because I wasn't doing right by my wife. It was immaturity. The bottom line is this, none of this can be done, not the husband's role, not the wife's role, unless we're in Jesus Christ and we're actively seeking the Holy Spirit in our lives. Even 1 Peter 3.7, great scripture, it says that a husband's prayers can go unanswered if he fails to be an understanding husband and fails to give honor to his wife. I can tell you that, especially in the beginning, in the early days, I know some of my prayers were unanswered because I wasn't doing right by my wife. 1 Peter 3.7, Likewise, you husbands dwell, live, with them, with your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Sometimes we read the Bible, I've got to do a chapter a day. When we read the Bible, we need to let it sink in. You know, even little verses and phrases have so much power and so much punch in them. As a man, can we understand a woman? Well, that's usually what jokes are made of. Right? However, there's times we're having a conversation and my wife turns to me and gives me this look. I already know what she's going to say before she says it. I can finish her thoughts and her sentence and sometimes she's like, will you just let me finish my thought? <laughs> All right, I know what you're going to say anyway, but go ahead. You know? <laughs> it's cute. You know? it's, it's, it's a neat thing. Guys in the world, to them, this is a joke. But I tell you what, I'm laughing all the way home because there's harmony in my home. Because I want to understand my wife. Men, we can look at a car, we could look at uh, a problem in the home and you know, wrap our minds around it so many ways to try to fix it. And then we, we don't put effort into understanding our wives. But the Lord calls us to understand our wives. You know, my wife is my wife. I've been married uh, 18 years and we're going into our 19th year of marriage and I want to study her. I want to see her patterns. I want to know how I can minister to her because she's my wife. And as far as I'm concerned, one of us is going to have to pass away or the Lord has to come back before we get separated. So this is an investment. You know, it's kind of a sterile term, but you know what I'm saying. On a humorous note, the weaker vessel, well, listen, ladies, you could use that to your advantage. You know, sometimes when, when I'm sitting on the couch watching TV with my wife and 
she, she, she gets off the couch and sits in front of me and she says, rub my neck. So I'll rub her neck. And she'll take off her bread and she'll go, scratch my head. Scratch her head. And she gets back on the couch and plops her feet on my lap. I know where this is going. Rub my feet. Rubbing her feet. Sometimes I protest and say, what about me? She goes, Joe, I'm the weaker vessel. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Verse 30. You know what? Humor is a beautiful thing in a marriage. You know, when you guys, when we can laugh together, that's that, that gluing process, that adhes, it just, there's so many things that just bring us so close together. Um, so we, there's a lot of laughter in our home, and my son has developed an odd sense of humor because he lives with us, but we'll move on. Verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh and bones, and his bones. Going to Genesis 2, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So the fourth part is to love by cleaving. This is an incredible statement. You know, God is all about unity. When we see division in our country, in our society, and we have to keep breaking it down. You know, I look different from you, and these are all the difference why we're different. So therefore, we have to get in our own camps, and we become a stupid country. We're fighting over the most ridiculous things. You know, the United States was founded so that we could all blend together. Now we're all at each other's throats and trying to find reasons why we differ from somebody else. But God is all about unity, and he brings that unity. You can see the unity, and I'll just a little bit of a side note here. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, united. Christ and the church. You can't separate him from the church. Three, the body of Christ. Sadly, today, there's that Satan, I think, is doing a good job in splitting up the church. And I've got to tell you this. If you look at the book of Acts, and you study the first few centuries of Christianity, there was no such thing as a Sunday Christian. Christians were intimately involved in each other's lives. They ministered to each other. They helped each other. In America, we're so into our, our, our own space and our own worlds, we've become kind of secluded, and then we do the church thing on Sunday. If someone's convicted by that, great. If you're not, then don't be upset by it. But for the husband and the wife unity, and for A, the family unity, when the husband and wife start to get broken up, it hurts the family. Now let's look at the ways that Satan has tried to divide these. Father, Son, Holy Spirit... Jesus was tempted early in his ministry. Satan probably thought to himself, well, he's taking the form of a man. Maybe I can get a wedge in there. That's what he does. He loves doing that. He's got this big shoehorn. He's got this big crowbar, and he loves to break people up. It didn't work, of course. He promised Jesus so many things, and the Lord wouldn't take it. Christ and the church. How much pressure was on Jesus not to go to the cross? And we read that in the scripture, but he did anyway. The body of Christ, dividing believers. Um, four, the husband and wife. All we have to do is look at the statistics outside of the church and inside of the church and see that he's done a good job there and certainly breaking up the family. But let's go back to what the Bible says. Leave and cleave. I looked up the word cleave in the Hebrew and the word is dobak. That word in our vernacular, bringing it up to 2015, that word dobak really means like an epoxy, an adhesive, plant grafting. Once you graft that plant, right, it's, once it gets going and it heals, you can't break that thing apart without killing the plant. And, and I can think of so many different ways, even the way a bone mends and rebuilds stronger at the site that it was broken. All the minerals and the calcium get in there and it becomes really hard and strong. So 
This is the way a husband and wife are supposed to be. Now, I'm going to say this. We still love our biological families, but there's a new priority. It's always us and God first. And then when you choose to get married, again, it's a choice. The second priority is not everybody else, but the two spouses. God first, and then the spouse, and then everyone else. I've seen too much damage over the years in counseling because of in-laws getting in the way. And listen, I've, I've had to go there with my family at times, right? Be careful of that. Best friends, in-laws, we let that get in too, too much and it'll become a wedge in our marriage. And I'll tell you what, I've seen this as well. A, a, a husband or a wife going to their friend or going to the family and then trashing their spouse. That bites later on. Because when you've finished healing the issue in the marriage, they still look at your spouse as a dirtbag. Just using a term, okay? If I ever need to complain about my wife, you know who I go to? I go to God. And don't think I haven't gone there. <laughs> Lord, why isn't she understanding this? I don't understand what we're arguing about. And I'm sure she's at the other end doing the same thing. So if I'm going to complain about anybody or to anybody, I'm going to go to God. I don't trash my wife to people. I will not. She is my partner. And I can tell you this, sometimes too, even the kids unwittingly will do things, ask one parent, ask another parent. They, you know, sometimes we do things lower than the conscious level, subconsciously. We do things because we want something. So they try to, they just want to get their way and they end up causing the parents to be clashing about certain things. So watch that as well. There's a timeless wedding challenge that says, do you promise to love... And, you know, people have changed the vows and changed wedding ceremonies, but this is amazing. You promise to love in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. Too many want the richer, they want the health. Sounds like the prosperity gospel. This is the, the mix for a shallow marriage. But they're not into the bad times and the poverty and the for worse. Right now, my wife and I are going through something, her father passed away and it's my job to minister to her last year when my father passed away she couldn't do enough for me and that's the for worse part for worse isn't that you're fighting all the time that could be part of it but there's other tragedies that affect the family things that affect the kids um, tragedy the death of a loved one that's the for worse part and I got news for you if you're considering marriage a lot of marriages for worse but it shows what type of people we are when we're in this relationship, when the for worse comes around. You know, in persecuted countries, church shootings are commonplace. And some husbands, by instinct, leave. They just bolt. Look, they hear the shots go off and they're out. And other husbands can be found shielding their wives and they take bullets in the back for them and they end up dying. So a lot of times when things are bad, it shows what we're made of. Verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So the fifth point is love, loving our wives by emulating Christ and the church paradigm or model. And this is what we see throughout these verses. The Apostle Paul very masterfully and under inspiration of the Holy Spirit weaves this back and forth. It's like the three strands cord. You know, Christ the church, husband, wife. Christ the church, husband, wife. And those three strands are wrapped into a braid and it becomes very strong. 
There's a reason for that. When we as husbands think we're doing a good enough job, we need to remember the paradigm of Christ and the church. Verse 33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is a little bit of a wrap-up, and I think it's actually, I got a kick out of it. I, sometimes I have inappropriate bursts of humor, but um, it's almost like the Apostle Paul is saying, now both of you do this. He says, wives do this, husbands do this. The last verse is, both of you do this, and do it at the same time. The cycle of dysfunction is when the husband becomes callous towards his wife, and she believes he doesn't love her, and she becomes icy or frozen and maybe disrespectful to the husband. Or the husband starts it, or excuse me, the wife starts it by emasculating her husband with her words, causing him to cut off any love supply left that he ever had, and he becomes possibly wallpaper. Because why is this put in here? Because husbands crave things. It's just the way we're made. It's the way we're wired. And wives crave things. The wife wants to know, above all else, that her husband loves her. Every day, every minute, as time goes on, do you love me? Ten years, twenty years, you know, the questions, you know, still love me. And husbands, we desire respect. We desire, listen, it might sound, it's, it's stuff that fairy tales are made of, but we desire to be the heroes. I still want to be the hero for my family. Super Joe, my cape and stuff. That's what I want. And when... You know, I need that more than I need love. That my wife respects me. She, she sees me as the hero. She sees me as the protector. Right? These are simple things. And you see little kids, before political correctness came in and started to change everything, you see little kids behaving in this way. They're, they're practicing for the future. And that's where we are. When you're married for a time, you know how to hurt each other. I'm throwing a little bit of counseling here. This is like a mixed bag this morning. But it's true. When you live with somebody for a few years, it's like the CIA. You start to know what makes the other person tick, what makes them mad, what hurts their feelings. And then when there's a fight, it all comes, it's like an explosion. We need to learn how to deal with each other in a fair way. And there's certain lines that we should never cross. My wife and I, in the beginning, we crossed all the lines. <laughs> That's why we were in so much trouble. And let me just say this as well. You know, I could be in my office and a husband and wife, are, and they're just tearing each other apart right in front of me. I feel like I need to throw a flag on the field, 10-yard penalty. That was inappropriate. <laughs> and I say to them, listen, you're not going to make, neither one of you are going to make me feel any less about either of you. So let's try to be more productive than hurtful. It's like in front of me, they're trying to, denigrate the other party. Listen, you're, you're both my sheep. I love you both. I'm not going to think any worse. So why don't we try to build instead of tear down? And as well, three strands, the Cardillos do a great job. The three strands marriage and engaged couples ministry. I tell you what, they, they painstakingly find really good material, good videos, good teachings. If your marriage is struggling, it's only once a month meeting. Oh, we can't commit to that. Well, but our marriage is struggling. What do you mean you can't commit to that? Move stuff aside and go to it. You know, it's important. It'll bless you. Consider discipleship. Consider going to somebody instead of throwing in a towel. This is something that we should be fighting for. Right? Well, 
I found in the beginning after teachings like this, my wife and I would go home and argue. <laughs> Seriously. We'd regurgitate. Well, the pastor said this. Yeah, but the pastor said that. And he's talking about you. And the elbows would come out and she'd be sitting next to me and my peripheral vision, she had laser eyes on my cheek, burning a hole in my cheek. But, you know, I, you, it's funny, but it's so true. And some of you have been through this and, and are going through this. When we listen to a sermon like this, we need to listen to it for ourselves, not for our spouse. What can I go home and take for me and not be worried about what's going on over there? Two, my wife and I have these two sayings. Number one is it's called hit the reset button. <laughs> we get into an argument, it's not going in a good place, and we, we'll, we'll just say, all right, this isn't, this isn't a hill to die for. Why don't we just hit the reset button? Let's literally, we start all over again. Let's table this conversation for a future discussion. Let's pray about it. And it works. It's an awesome thing. The, another saying that we have is, okay, I'm not a victim and you're not a victim. <laughs> we both need to change. I mean, these are good because what are you going to do? Just drag each other through the mud? Take a break. Pray about it. You know, Go out to dinner and <laughs> talk about something else. How many people think that marriage is a 50%, 50%? Anybody? Marriage 50-50? Oh, you didn't fall into the trap. <laughs> marriage is 100%, 100%. And if both parties aren't doing 100%, then there becomes problems. I'm glad that we have a lot of young people here this morning. And I'm going to say this too to the young ladies. I found that young women can be very idealistic. Now, idealism is a good trait. It really is, and it has its place. But to be overly idealistic or optimistic to the point where you're not seeing problems can be an issue. Again, marriage is a choice. Consider this message. Are you this way, and is your fiancé this way, or that way? I've had uh, women come into my office in their 40s and 50s and just break down about how they didn't see the signs and now there's problems. I'd like to get those women to get with the younger women and compare notes and just see what to look out for. But the Bible has all the answers. I would be no happier than if a couple came to me in a week or a month or a year and said, you know what, we tried these things and the marriage is getting better, we're working on it. That's a blessing. In, in Scripture, Matthew 24, Jesus said that in the last days sin will abound and the love of many will grow cold. And it's the truth. A lot of the junk that's in society slowly seeps into the church. And we shouldn't be emulating society. We should be setting the tone for society. I'll say it again. It's better, be, better to be single than in a relationship with the wrong person. One last thing before we close is if you have, and, and honestly, if you've been in a situation where somebody left, they lied, they left, they... Um, you need healing. You need prayer because it is a painful process. All these, it's traumatic and you go through like a grieving process. Sadness, depression, bitterness, anger, and, and some of them, they, they overlap. So if you're in that situation where it's like, listen, I tried, and I know people like that, I really tried, and the spouse was somebody who said a lot of things in the beginning and didn't follow through and they left. You can't make a person stay. So talk to somebody about healing, about prayer, um, about getting through it, because it really it does need to have a, he a healing process. At the end of the day, the synergistic marriage blesses everyone. 
it blesses God. Because the Bible says when we both come to the altar and we, we say these vows, we're making a choice, we're making a commitment. Right? And that, that glue, it starts out, just like when you glue something together, it starts out tacky, you put it together, it's fragile. You know, the directions say don't touch it or clamp it, leave it there. Over time, there's this adhesion process that takes place. And when the bonding is set, to try to undo that, that glue can mean to destroy both of those agents or one of them. And, you know, and here's the ironic thing. Sometimes the glued part still stays together while the rest of it breaks. A little, little bit of a parallel with what God is trying to do with the husband and wife. That glue process should be ultimate. So God is blessed. Both spouses are blessed when the marriage gets better. The kids are blessed. And here, the witnesses outside of the family. Oh, you call yourself Christians? Why are you guys always fighting all the time? Why are you always trashing your husband to me? Why are you trashing your wife to me? Oh, well, let me tell you about Jesus. I don't want to hear about Jesus. Again, people in the world aren't stupid. If they don't know the Lord, they want to see some fruit in our lives. Otherwise, they're not going to listen to us. So we are, uh, we're to be a light individually, but also our marriages should be a light to the outside world. And I tell you what, in ministry, the synergistic marriage is non-negotiable because you have all kinds of pressures in, in, in ministry. Whether it was this year or last year with my father, there's, um, you know, I have priorities here and I also have priorities to my family and it's, sometimes they compete with each other and it's difficult. So in ministry... Synergistic marriage is non-negotiable. The last two anniversaries, and I even said to my wife, our, our anniversary has fallen on the same month that our fathers died. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, we couldn't plan anything or do anything. And my wife's response to me, she goes, don't worry about it. She goes, we have each other every day. We have a great friendship. And, and that was wisdom. I mean, I look at things like, and I'm not against these things, Mother's Day, Father's Day, anniversary days, the National Day of Prayer, Christmas, Resurrection Sunday, Honestly, if you're just going to come to church on Christmas and Easter, don't bother. Because you're not doing anything for yourself, and you're not doing anything for the Lord. You might as well just not come to church and do something else in your life. Are we honoring God if we're just, you know, not, not having any time with Him? Are we honoring our marriages if we're not having any time with them? So it isn't about a day, it's about a lifestyle. You know, we, we can invest into, into finances and different things and watch it and look the, the investment grow and, and, and watch it flourish, but in our own lives, we're not doing that. That's a problem. Lifestyle, investment. So I just pray that this message reaches, and, and I know because last Sunday, a lot of people came up to me, uh, a lot of questions, a lot of prayer, some tears. And I just pray that at this point that if you are in a good marriage, that your marriage just becomes stronger. If you're in a flailing marriage, that you can see that there's hope and there's light at the end of the tunnel. If you've been the victim of somebody who left and you tried, that there's healing. And um, I think that this message applies to everyone. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. 
You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.